0: Hi, I'm Colleen Nolan and this is my podcast, Let's Talk About Grief, a Reach production brought to you by Co-op Funeral Care. Over the five episodes, I'll be using this platform to chat to my special guests about their very own personal experiences of death, grief and the ways in which they've chosen to remember their loved ones. Each week we'll touch on a different theme, from losing a parent, sibling or spouse to dealing with grief in lockdown. We'll uncover how many guests handled the initial blow of losing a loved one, how and where they found support, and the coping mechanisms they continue to rely on to get them through the toughest of times. They'll also be sharing their best advice in the hope it'll help anyone out there who needs to hear it most. We'll also look at what happens in the weeks that follow the funeral, and explore the many moving, creative ways my guests choose to keep the memory of their loved ones alive. I'll also be joined by Crew's bereavement specialists and Co-op Funeral Care team to share their valuable knowledge. My hope is that this podcast brings comfort and offers advice to people who need it most, whether it's someone suffering a bereavement or someone supporting them. This podcast is a Reach production brought to you by Co-op Funeral Care. Together, no one has
1: to deal with bereavement alone. I just made the most of every day. I didn't cry in front of him. I put my makeup on every day as if it was normal. Years before, we'd talked about death. Paul and I never look back. We live today. And I don't look ahead either much. And so, in some ways, that was easier for me. I don't think it probably hit me properly for over a year I really? think you're in shock you know grief is until you go through it it's such a strange thing and that first year every time I had to come back to the house on my own it was awful so
0: I am joined now by the lovely <laughs> Debbie McGee former Strictly star oh my you <laughs> should have won in my opinion can I just say um, you're magnificent and um obviously married to the fabulous Paul Daniels. For how many years were you and Paul married?
1: Well, we were together for 38. Wow. But we were married for 29. Wow. Mm. And you not only were together and married, you worked together and married. So was it almost 24-7, I guess? Yeah, most of of the time. And I mean, once we got married, I didn't put my career on hold because, of course, I could work with Paul. Mm. But I stopped pushing my career. I just thought, I looked at show business and we both know mm. it's so hard when you're mm. working all the time. So jobs I'd be offered, if they were taking me away from Paul for longer than two or three weeks, I wouldn't do them. I wouldn't do any tours mm. or anything. So I then just concentrated mostly on working with him. Yeah, and you both became really famous for that. You yeah. know, Paul without you
0: then just seemed odd. It, yeah, you know, whenever I saw, it, it. I was I like, know. he's got to have the lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not watching. <laughs> Sadly, Paul passed away. Um, mm-hmm. Take me back, if you can, to that moment of a
1: finding out he was ill because it was quite sudden, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I mean, he he we'd done pantomime at Christmas and. All I could say was he kind of, he'd lost his sparkle and he always had so much mm. energy and he was like sleeping in late and, you know, dozing and things and going to bed as soon as we got home from the theatre. And Paul was never like that. He hardly needed any sleep. Mm. So I just thought, oh, he's getting older. Maybe Panto, we've just done a big tour and we had a week off before we started Panto. I thought, oh, maybe it's a bit too much and oh, maybe next year we, we just won't do a Panto. Um But then I just thought, no, he really has lost his sparkle. Just did did, he know he had? Did he feel? He never said. Hmm. So then just before we finished, um, he did have sort of what I'd call, he described it as a funny turn Hmm. a couple of days before we finished Panto when we were just at the flat we were um, renting, the cottage. And he said, oh, I felt really peculiar. He said, "Um, I'm going to go and lie on the bed. And he went to sleep for the rest of the day. And, um, and that just wasn't poor. He didn't kind of nap in the afternoon or anything. So anyway, when we got back from Panto, I booked him an appointment with the doctor literally the next day. And they did loads of blood tests and kept coming back with, you know, he was vitamin D deficient, iron deficient. And then they said, oh, we found it's. Pernicious anemia, which don't worry, it's completely treatable. You have an injection a month and he's going to have one a week for the next month and then you won't be able to keep up with him. Mm. So he had the first injection and then he wasn't improving and he was literally falling asleep. He wasn't interested in anything. And so I took him back to the doctor, but our doctor was away and the doctor we saw didn't know Paul. And I said, Look, this person you are talking to, he might be joking with you. But this isn't him. Mm. He's normally full of sparkle and energy all day long. So he said just bear with it and then... Within another week, he was doing strange things and answering me in ways that wasn't normal. I'd ask him a question and he'd reply with something that had nothing to do with the question I'd asked him. So our GP was back then. So I rang up and he said, I'll come and out and see you. And he said to me, yesterday that there's definitely, this isn't Paul. There's something wrong. So he booked for him to see a neurologist, but we had to wait a mm. week or something. And during that time, he really went downhill he was getting weak and um, so I gave him breakfast one morning and he he was sick so I thought I, this isn't right so I just called an ambulance and they you know took mm. him straight to A&E and did a CT scan and within two hours they knew he had this massive brain tumour the consultant said to Paul do you want to know what's wrong with you and he just went no tell Deb and so they took Paul back to the little ward he was in and he said to me, it's a huge tumour. I'm surprised he hasn't had more symptoms than he's had. Um, but there's absolutely nothing we can do because even if we try radiotherapy or anything, it's it's gone too far. Mm. And, you know, you do all the things, you know... Um, if this was somebody in your family, is just—is is this still the result yeah, that you yeah, would yeah. come up with? You know the diagnosis. Yeah, you question. And, them. Yeah, everything. Mm-hmm. And you know, he said, "Look, I." He also worked at an Oxford Hospital. He said, "I will. I've got a meeting tomorrow with you know a whole group of oncologists and things." He said, "I will put it by all of them." And then he rang me the next day, and I was at the hospital with Paul, this other hospital in Berkshire, and he said, "No, they've all agreed." Um, you know, we think he's probably got two months and just decide where you want him to spend those two months. They said he won't be in pain, but his brain might be affected because the... Tumor was pressing on the parts of the brain that process new information. So he could still... I mean, he was very bright. You worked with Paul, so, you know. He could still watch Mastermind and answer all the questions that he knew. And if I asked him, do you want scrambled eggs on toast, something he knew, he could answer and he could talk to you quite normally. But if you asked him something new that's when and that's what was happening so um i just decided i've just got to get him home
0: did how did you feel that they
1: gave you that
0: information i mean how how did you well, because cuz did he want to
1: know from you or no. he just didn't want to know? So he you... just didn't want to know. So you had to deal with that yourself. And see and I don't know because Paul was a very strong person and I don't know how much of that was because he couldn't process new information. Okay. And by then he was perhaps realizing it. Okay. So then he was in hospital for 10 days while I, I organized things at home. Mm. And um during that time he did go downhill a lot um mentally. But he still knew everybody and he still was joking with people in the hospital mm. and everything like he always had. I knew he wasn't going to get better. And, um, you know, and things that I think back of. I took him a little portable TV to watch mm. and loads of DVDs. And we watched, um, I think it was the Real Marigold Hotel. Oh, yeah. and in the middle of it, a young couple or near the end, get married, and he had tears streaming down his face. And so to me, he was telling me he knew he he was going to die. And um, so anyway, he did come home. He only lasted a month and four days. We never discussed it because he couldn't really talk about it because it was new information. But I just made the most of every day. I didn't cry in front of him. I put my makeup on every day as if it was normal. And we, you know, but we just did, we didn't go out, but we, the weather was quite good. It was February into mm. March. So we walked around the garden in the sunshine or sat on the patio eating. He loved Magnum mm. ice creams and had Magnums. It. And he he loved Bradley Walsh and he loved the chase. Mm. So we'd sit and watch that every afternoon all the family got to see him but you know came separately so that it wasn't too much so that they all got to see him and kind of say so yeah, goodbye yeah yeah and his grandchildren and did he did he know at the end no i just think he must have known but he just couldn't talk about it so i, I couldn't ask him what do you want for funeral you know anything like that i mean years before we talked about death and especially when his dad died, because he was so much older than me, he always said, you know, it'll probably mm. be me that goes first, you know. And I was always, well, you know, I could get run over tomorrow. But we never talked about kind of the logistics of what he yeah. wanted at a funeral. He'd planned life and his will as if it was him that was going first. So I didn't have to worry that... You know, nothing was planned. He would talked to a, two of his sons about what his plan was. Mm. You know, so that they knew. So then I just thought, right. However long he's got, we'll just make the best of each day. You know, well, that
0: must have been so hard for you. So do you think you just held the grief off?
1: Yes, like, just totally. Yeah. So I you didn't, didn't think about? No, I just. I think I've all and Paul was the same we really have been people that live for today and like Mm. people talk to me about things I've done in my life and the TV shows and things and I said, well Paul and I never look back we live today and I don't look ahead either much Mm. yes I love looking forward to a nice holiday but no we did live like that and I don't live in the past never have lived in the past and so in some ways that was easier for me Mm. because I didn't dwell on anything and I just got on with it and then what about
0: sadly when he did pass yeah did it hit you then I
1: don't think it probably hit me properly for over a year I Mm. think you're in shock you know everybody's different aren't they yeah um I couldn't give anything of his away at that time I that was a comfort that the house was still like it Mm. was I did change the bedroom because that's where he'd been Mm. um But other than that, but somebody did give me some really good advice and they said, change your routine Mm -hmm. if you have any kind of routine. But again, that must be hard because you had with him. Yeah. But you know, a big routine, I guess. Well, sort of. But you know, because in show business, every day is different because you're in a different place usually. Um, the, The only routine we had was in the mornings and we always got up early and we always had, you know, a couple of hours together having breakfast discussing anything it was our time and so that's and even now that's still the hardest time so once this person had said to me change your routine because she'd lost her husband a year before i don't drink what i had in the mornings I've all my life i'd had lemon and hot water and honey i've coffee when mm. i wake up um and at that early time of grief, I had my sister staying with me about four days a week. But on the days that she wasn't there, I went to the gym and I would have breakfast there and do a class and be mm. with people um, and then come back and just get have a shower and get ready for the day. And I just got really busy. Mm. But was there moments where you broke down? Yeah, there was. And, you know, grief is, until you go through it, it's such a strange thing and I'd lost my dad 18 months before, who I was really close to. And I can remember with dad, of course I cried when he died, and I was I nursed him for a month before he died. I was with him every day. And I can remember after dad dying, Paul and I were flying home from... We'd been working in America, and we were flying home. And suddenly I started crying, and I couldn't stop. It just... My dad's grief just... Came out then for no reason. I don't know whether it was because I was on a plane going home and he wouldn't be there and he often would pick us up from the airport or whether there was nothing else to think of because I was on an eight-hour flight. I don't know, but I can remember Dad's grief, just like the floodgates opened. Mm. But with Paul, it was different. My grief was completely different and I thought it would be like Dad's, of going in waves and dealing with it. But it wasn't because when you lose your partner, your security goes everything that was kind of in life Mm. every decision you made you made with that person well we did you know um luckily I think I dealt with all the finances I paid all the bills for the house and everything so I wasn't like one of those women that you hear of that never touched a checkbook. I did everything because Paul wasn't interested in money he just wanted to make people laugh and play with his Mm. toys and Mm -hmm. he would say to me I want to buy sensor. Have we got enough in the bank? Yeah, okay. So you were the sensible. Yeah, well, I suppose yeah. so. So in that respect, it made it easier because I'd already had control of all of that. But what I really found difficult was just, yeah, just that security. Mm. Um, and what about the loneliness? And yeah, just that first year, every time I had to come back to the house on my own, it was awful. But I I live in such a great community and I've got really proper friends in my lane and in my village. Mm. And so all of them just said, you know, knock at our door any time. And I did. I just thought I'd come home from work, go in the house and think, I don't want to be in this house on my own and just ring one of them and say, can I come up for a glass of wine usually, you know, uh, if it was the evening or a cup of coffee in the morning. And they just say, yes. And they all did. And they're all still there for me now.
0: I love that because... Because so many people say, you know, I'm here, ring me, doesn't matter what time of yeah. day or night, but then as that person, you don't, because you they don't, don't. want to, oh, I better not trouble them, or it's three in the morning, they'll
1: be asleep. Yeah. And the fact that you did... I did, and I went and knocked brilliant. on the doors. And they
0: meant it. When people say that to you, they mean it. Yeah,
1: Because and and one lady, who was an older lady, who um, lives next door to me, still does, um, when Paul came out of hospital and he was at home and my sister kept moved in with us to help um every single day she cooked for us mm. but she didn't ring the front door she knew I had a back door that would be open she left a casserole or a big pot of soup and lovely bread on the draining board with a note saying put it in the oven at 180 mm. if, you know for half an hour um knowing what it it was like of and um my sister and I have discussed this that if she'd said, Let me cook dinner for you, we would have said no. Yes. And so now what I say to people, if you know somebody that's nursing somebody at home or they're ill, just, just do it. Just just put it on the front doorstep and message them and say, There's dinner on the front doorstep. Mm. And a few other people from my village left things by the front door. Um and th- The weird thing is, and and you've been in Mm. this position, Colleen, when you lost your sister, people said to me, what's it like being in the public eye and going through it? Mm. It must be awful. And I said, no, it's the opposite. When you're somebody who nobody knows, you walk around with your grief inside and Mm. they don't know why you're being grumpy or sad. Mm. But when you're in the public eye, they know what you're going through. And what happened to me was that people weren't intrusive, but particularly women, would just come up to me and give me a hug and walk away. Yeah, They didn't say anything. And it meant so much because the first couple of years, that pain inside you that you can't describe to people is so strong that you put on a smiley face and you get on with life. But you're walking around the shops with this huge pain and I can't describe it, but you know, kind of in your diaphragm, oh, isn't it's it? Awful. You know, yeah, you nothing w- with it, and, and nothing will take sleep. it away. No. You know, your grief is getting easier. By that pain is not there twenty-four hours. Mm. You know, I had days where I thought, oh, actually, I've just had an hour where I'd forgotten about it, yeah. or it wasn't there. And then you start to feel guilty that you've kind of I put Paul out of my mind for an hour. You know that I shouldn't. I think that's it, isn't it? There's a lot of. I know with my sister again, yeah. uh, It's the guilt
0: of not thinking them for an hour, or, you know, as a single, yeah, beautiful woman now, as you are, um, it, there's that guilt of, would I meet someone? Could I meet someone? Would that be disloyal? Yeah. And I think they're all the feelings that you have, that yeah. you have to go through as well. That guilt. It's always come down to guilt, yeah, really. Yeah. It is as human being. Yeah. Do um, you have any? Things that make you go, oh, that's made me feel guilty.
1: I can't do that. When for the first, I think within the first three years, probably there are things you look back up at that you always feel, perhaps I should have done that. Oh, I could have done that mm. better. Mm. And then you realise actually, what I I've realised now is I did the best I could do at the mm. time. And you, but do you feel guilty about
0: decisions since he died that you've made where you think I wouldn't have done that if Paul had been here or the thoughts of meeting anyone else or moving on in that respect
1: no I think Paul always said to me that he wouldn't have wanted me to be on my own mm. I just haven't met the right person no. it's not something that I think oh I could never meet anybody else it isn't that it's mm. just I ha- haven't and I've I've been had dinners I've got loads of lovely male friends mm. that will take me out for lunch or dinner we really have a giggle but meeting somebody and having chemistry with somebody yes. is a different oh, a different ball game mm. and I think especially as you're older
0: yeah
1: you know when you're younger it's kind of it It's a bit more, I wouldn't say fun, but I think when you're younger, you're also looking for your life partner. Mm. And I'm not now. I've had my life partner. Mm. I just want somebody that will make me laugh. Almost like a companion. Yeah. 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 And I I know a lot more about myself kind of thing. Mm. And I know what makes me happy and I just feel very lucky that I've got amazing family, amazing friends and that I can actually go out and have a really good time mm. without needing to fill that void where Paul was. Yeah,
0: which which you are very lucky with because yeah. lots of people don't have that. No, they still feel And sad. I think it's nice going back to what you said that we're very lucky in one way that we are in the public eye so people do know about us Yeah, and they come up and give you that random hug in the supermarket So there it's very important for us to say, if you know of somebody, you know, a neighbor or a friend of a friend even, to just now and again be there for them.
1: And just all those messages, and people always say, "Oh, I haven't phoned that person because we don't know what to say." Yeah, and I say that's the thing we don't know what yeah. to say. Just ring and say I'm thinking of you. Mm. That's all you need, isn't it? Yeah, and I, you know, my phone, I used to ping, 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 ping mm. with all, all my friends, just saying thinking of you, or just sending me a kiss or a heart or something to know that they're out there mm. if I if I need them. Mm. And I, I think the other thing, and and thinking about meeting somebody is um. I never could understand why when somebody lost their partner, they got married really quickly. And Mm. we all know it's different situations. You might have nursed somebody for years years, or whatever. So you've grieved Mm. while they were alive and ill. And I think it must be similar to divorce because you're suddenly left on your own Mm. I think in the first couple of years after Paul died I was just didn't realize how vulnerable I was and that because suddenly your support blanket's gone it's not that you want to meet a partner you just feel like you need that security Mm. that I think if I'd met somebody then I probably could have really easily got got into the wrong relationship, Mm. which I know has happened to quite a few of my friends. Um, And I'm just glad I didn't because now I'm six and a half years down the line. Um, I'm very kind of content in my world. And if suddenly She's... I hit meet somebody that there's a chemistry, that would be fantastic. But I'm I'm not. But you looking don't need it. Yeah, I'm not looking for somebody thinking oh, I need a, a man in my life. Yeah. So if you find
0: someone else, because you want to, not because you need to. Yeah. You don't need anyone? It's a big difference. Do you still feel
1: um, that? Does the grief ever go? I don't think it does. No, I really don't. If I wanted to, I could sit here and talk to you and cry my eyes out. Mm. I could. Bring images of Paul to me. It's like I I really can't imagine him being on stage. And I can, you know, if I want to, I can. I can see him leaning on the the microphone stand and, you know, his whole cheeky persona. Um, But I know, don't go there in my head. Why do you feel you stop yourself doing it? Because I know as soon as I do that, the floodgates open and I still will cry like I did the day he died. I, and um, I did speak. But is that to, not okay? Well, sometimes. Mm. But you don't want to do that every single day of your life. No. You know, so I do have my moments where I choose to recall him in a sad way really Mm. but other times like um this year I've been sorting out all his magic props and things because I feel I should pass on his legacy Mm. I never look at them it's unfair of me just to store them and um Actually, at first, it was just so emotional the first week and it took a few months. But after that, I actually got joy out of it, Mm. of remembering him and remembering him doing that trick or we did that in a certain show somewhere. And I loved it. I found a poster with you on it. No. Yes. Fairfield Halls in Croydon. I won't say what year. Please don't. Please but, don't. I'm still 18 in my head. It, yes, but it was when we were both young. Yes, uh, very young. Lovely with okay. your sisters. <laughs> and you did a season there yeah. with him, I think. Yeah. And, yeah, I did laugh. I thought, oh gosh, <laughs> and and finding things like that. But I think I do understand that some people in grief for years and years and years either just never go out, which I've got a friend that does that, or, you know, just sit and really... They are just sad almost every moment of the day. But a friend of mine who is a grief counsellor said to me, um, when I started, I think, to really go through my grief about 18 months down the line, and it felt so real. The pain had gone, and it was a different feeling. And he said to me, what it is with grief, Debbie, is people for a long time said that time heals. He said it doesn't he said your grief always stays the size it is if we say it's the mm. size of i don't know a an orange yeah. a big orange he said you have to build a life around the grief that's bigger than your grief and that's when you will be happy again mm. and i that is what i believe now i think that i you know i'm so lucky i get Lovely jobs. um you know, and as I said, I've got wonderful friends. I've got an amazing family that really i've have always meant so much to yes. me, but now mean even more. Mm. And um, you know, and I choose to, you know, just I just think, however long I've got left, I was just so lucky to have Paul for all those years. You know, I think, you know they all say that horrible quote attitude of gratitude but actually if I'm having a down day I just think hey some people live their whole lives without having what I had yeah. you know I had this fairy tale yes all marriages mm. go up and down mm. but I had a fairy tale mar- marriage and I had a man that loved me completely unconditionally that I really knew and since he's died I've found out more things that he proved how much he loved me mm. so why should I actually just live and dwell in my sadness of losing him? Because I actually had nearly 40 years of loving him.
0: That's a absolutely beautiful way of of thinking about it, actually, mm. because because you're right, it's good to remember all the good times yeah. and, and how lucky you were. And oh, we laughed every day. Mm. He played jokes on me or I played jokes on him. He was the right wind-up, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you could give advice to anyone out there who's like yourself become, Mm. you know, a widow suddenly or after so many years Mm. and what would you say to them if they were saying to you, I am never going to get over this? I
1: just think that you have to say to yourself that you have to accept that they've gone. Once you accept they've gone and just be grateful that you had them in your life, um, then it gets easier to carry on with your own Mm. and just think, yeah, that's that life and now I have to create a life for myself. Mm. And, you know, you can't cling on to the past. Mm. You know, you just have to keep, I mean, every day I've got pictures of Paul around the house and pictures of my dad and, um, you know, who I lost very close to Paul. And I just, you know, I talk to them and go, oh, yeah, dad. You know, I've done this, what shall I do? Or Paul, come on, how would you have done that? You know, and just don't forget them. It's not about pushing them away and forgetting them, Mm. but it's embracing what life you've got left.
0: Yeah. Is there anything you specifically do um, to keep Paul's memory with you or... You know, Christmases, birthdays, is there any tradition things you do?
1: At first, it was very hard to do anything that kept him in the forefront of my mind in the early grief. To keep going, he was so there that I didn't need to. Mm. Um, and now, because it's, you know, gone those few years down the line, um, he is always still with me. I mean, he just is. Mm. Um but what I do do is I have things like, um, you know, I've still got lots of his shirts, so I wear his shirts around the Lovely. house or if I'm gardening. And that came from my neighbour. When she lost her husband, she gave all his clothes away to charity immediately. She said, Debbie, don't don't give anything away for at least the first year, she said, because I wish I'd kept hold of John's dressing gown mm. um, because that would have been something that was him. So I always remembered that. So I... I wear his shirts, but I just, um, just you know, I talk about him a lot. What
0: about his birthday? Do you celebrate his birthday? Oh,
1: always with his birthday, um, you know, and his sons, because they live so far away from me or they're away working. You know, we always talk about it. And at Christmas, um, I've started doing my Christmas cards, which are photographs of shows that we did mm. because it's a way to send to my friends for them to remember paul mm. and i asked a few of them i said would it upset you or they said no we'll love it so last year i did a thing that was um we did a scrooge christmas special um mm. with ron moody playing mm. scrooge so i that's um i you know or oh, he was fagin and paul was scrooge so i i did a picture so think yeah i do things like that but um you know, yeah, always celebrate his birthday, and even you know, I've just had my birthday, and you know, had when was it for Halloween? Oh, yeah, I'm a real oh. witch. <laughs> I've had great birthdays, yeah, yeah. So I oh, had my batteery on, <laughs> and Paul always spoilt me and surprised me on my birthday. I mean, I had. The memories I have of my birthdays with Paul and if we were working he would always make it special and then book us into a beautiful hotel oh. wherever we were um you know and I mean he was very romantic what shall have I got time yeah, to tell yeah. the story so one year we were filming the magic series at the BBC working seven days a week and we had two days in studio you know 16 hour days Got to bed at one o'clock in the morning, and they said, "Oh, by the way, I've got some good news for your birthday tomorrow." I said, "Oh, what?" You know, he said, "I've managed to get us a day off," and I thought, "Oh, great, no rehearsals, I can just sleep all day." And he went, "But you've got to be up at seven, oh. and you've got to wear something stylish, but with shoes you can walk in." All right, and this is the end of October, mm-hmm. anyway. He flew me to Paris for lunch for my birthday no way every birthday I get up and I remember all these different things he did which weren't quite as special as that but always at beautiful hotels or you know a surprise birthday party that we had where he had the house filled with walking balloons that were pumpkins and witches so yeah and I just talk about him I think that's you know because he was such a part of my life and you know I've got made lots of new friends that kind of met Paul but never knew him Mm. so I talked to them about him and what he was like and how he used to be in the village make people laugh at the post office and stuff like that
0: so it's important for you yeah so you keep him alive in that way yeah in your memories and sharing your moments with other people yeah and I've got got
1: photographs everywhere it's a
0: fantastic way to go about it actually Mm. I cannot believe your birthday's Halloween
1: (laughs) I bet he used that against you so many times well he did because Houdini's birthday was on uh, Paul's birthday, and he died on Halloween. So, put in the early days, you know, he used to say to people. Because you know what it was like. Uh, oh, I only married her for the publicity. So I could say, oh, you know, Houdini's birthday is my <laughs> birthday, and Debbie's birthday is the day he died, and she's oh. going to have seances, you know, <laughs> and whatever, to see if she can get to me, because that's what Houdini's wife did uh, mm. after he died, and things like that. You know, was always saying, you know, she's my current wife. I like to keep her on her toes. You know. Love that. Yes, that, that bought me quite a few new pairs of shoes. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so, you know, I mean, I, Colleen, I had a fairy fairy tale life. I've been sorting out Paul's stuff and different things that I've found and with the auctioneer and say, oh, yeah, and that, that was, you know, and we were, and I, I think you knew Paul. Paul mm. and I, not terribly well, but I think you know we're a bit like you, that we were very down to earth. Yeah, yeah. We, we, you know, we went to flashy showbiz mm. parties and we were guests of people mm. like Prince Rainier and the royal family, but actually... That's nothing like me, Debbie. Yeah, but oh. we
0: didn't do Prince it... Prince the Alsatian is yeah. probably the <laughs> <I've>
1: ever <done laughs> We that. didn't do it all the time. Our happy times were Sunday lunch with the family mm. or friends around for a spag bog or whatever. So I think that that's also what's kind of comforting... To me, with Paul is you know I cope with his sense of humor and all these things and we had ways that we dealt with it mm. you know if I said excuse me that wasn't very nice you mm. know, but I've seen a really lovely pair of shoes darling <laughs> do you know what Debbie thank you so much for coming
0: in today you're such um you're such a force really and thank you and so wonderful and you always have been and um I'm very honored so that you came cry <laughs> um, no, I'm genuinely I mean it from my heart thank um, you and you're fantastic woman thank and you Thanks thank so you much and don't cry because you'll make me cry so <laughs> let's just leave it on that shall we we shall thank you i am joined now by tracy harriman who's a co-op funeral care arranger hi tracy hello thank you for joining today um co-op funeral care arranger yes
2: what does that mean or is it in the title you were in it funerals know, really yeah, someone loses a loved one they come and see me mm. and i'll put together a funeral for them
0: wow and you're also a cruise bereavement support volunteer volunteer. yeah so what is some of the best advice you can share with someone
2: who's just experienced a loss first of all I would say whatever you're feeling is right and it's okay um you may know someone else who's gone through a loss who didn't feel the same as you Mm. grief is very individual so whatever you're feeling is absolutely right even if people you know haven't felt it themselves there's no right
0: way or wrong There's way, absolutely is absolutely
2: no right way or wrong way. And I think one of the the most um, prevalent theories over the last few years has, has been about the seven stages of grief or the five stages of grief, as it, as it was originally known. Um, I think we've learned more recently that actually we're a lot more holistic than that. So you might be feeling an awful lot of emotions at the same time. And that's right as well. You're not on your own. Um, that's an important thing to remember it's also really important to remember to reach out Mm. um, because we are we're a little bit thick as humans Mm. um, and we sometimes need to be told and no one tells us how to grieve and no one tells us how to deal with people who are grieving Um, and I think sometimes we feel we need permission yeah we need permission to talk about the person we've lost we need permission to approach someone who's lost someone to talk to them Mm. we don't want to feel as though we're going to upset someone by talking about grief but actually it's okay to go up to someone and say it's Christmas I know you lost your dad a couple of months ago just wondering how you're feeling yeah yeah is there anything I can do to help you and it's okay if you've lost someone to actually bring that up as well you may feel as though... We, we often feel that once the funeral's over, we've lost that permission to talk about our grief. Um, and Do you I think, think that's because be as you
0: I always think this about funerals, that everybody leading up to a funeral, everybody is getting in touch with you, yeah. Um, all got their memories, all phoning to check you're all right, then everyone's there at the funeral, and the day after the funeral, because life goes on, yeah. everyone yeah. goes back to their life. Yeah. And I think, for me, having lost my mum, my dad, my sister... That was the loneliest time for me because I thought, oh, everyone's just carried on now.
2: Yeah. And when you're working up to that, that point of the funeral, you've got a goal. You've mm. got somewhere to reach to. You're busy. There are yeah. things to be done. Once that funeral takes place, you're That's lost. Yeah. There's nothing to do. Mm.
0: And-, and people don't think you need them anymore. Whereas I think no. that's the most important no. time yeah, to they... phone somebody and say, are you okay? Yeah.
2: You know. And again, it's that thing, well, now the funeral's over, they're going to be moving on with their life, don't really want to bring it up in case I upset them. Mm. Okay. Mm. Whenever we, we see someone, someone we've perhaps not seen, even for, for just a day, we'll see them in the morning and we'll say, hey, how you doing? Mm. Morning, you all right? mm. When you've lost someone, you might be feeling really rubbish. Yeah. You might be having a bad day. The person that's asked you how you are might not know that actually it, it's your dad's birthday mm. or something like that. And it's okay to actually say, rather than doing what we would normally do and saying, oh, actually, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, fine, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm fine, how are you? It's okay to say, do you know what? I'm having a really bad day. Mm. And I think that's what we're all a bit rubbish at is that those that have lost someone feel as though they need permission to talk about it. And those that want to support those that have lost loved ones don't know how to start the conversation. Mm. We've got to be that little bit braver. Yeah, and speaking about funerals, is it,
0: for anyone that doesn't
2: know Mm -hmm. or is about to experience it, is it hard to arrange a funeral? It's certainly hard emotionally. Mm. Um, The actual practicalities of arranging a funeral, you really don't need to worry about. Mm. That's what people like me are there for. Uh, we'll hold your hand right the way through the process, we'll hold your hand afterwards if it's needed. So what are the first things you need to think about for that? For arranging a funeral mm. itself, well again that's something that we would guide you through. So if you have actually spoken to your loved one before they died if you have some idea of what they actually wanted for their own funeral Mm. service that actually makes things a little bit easier for you Mm. so I would say that that's really important is that you start the conversations early Mm. okay Um, but when you're actually sat in that room with a funeral arranger it's hard you you, you're feeling incredibly emotional most people haven't perhaps haven't arranged a funeral before, it's their Mm. first time. They don't know what to expect. We guide you through it. So you might be thinking simple questions like, are you looking for a cremation or a burial? Mm. Where is it to take place? Was your loved one at all religious? Do you need a religious minister? Would you like it to be more a celebration of life? But actually we start the conversation by saying, tell me a bit about your mum.
0: Yeah. Because the thing is, a lot of people don't talk about the funerals, do they? So, no, no. when somebody passes away, I guess the instant thing is, what did they want? Am I yeah. doing the right thing? I mean, yeah. do you guide them through that as well? Yeah. If they've yeah. no idea what yeah. the person wants, we
2: we will we will give them as many options as we can. Mm. Um, funerals aren't the necessarily they aren't necessarily the traditional um, religious services Mm. that they used to be. There are so many more ways of making a funeral unique, which is why we say, okay, talk to me about the person that you've lost. Because the more you have that conversation um, with them, the better idea you will get of ideas that might help them to make it unique. Mm. Um,
0: What do you think is the best way for someone to support
2: someone after a funeral? To, to be there, to talk, to offer themselves, to say, you know, how, when, they say, when you say, how are you doing, actually mean it and wait for the answer, wait mm. for the response. Mm. And, and actually bring up the fact that they'd lost a loved one, even if it's two months, three months, three years down the line. Mm. How are you doing? Because there's no, as we've
0: said before, there's no time limit, is there? On grief?
2: Absolutely not absolutely not and equally if you are grieving to reach out isn't it Too. I think that's important and I think also it's important to remember to be kind to yourself um, I think particularly in the early days as you've said mm. people will approach and, and want to be there for you yeah. and offer support sometimes that can be overwhelming and you can actually think actually I want some time to myself mm. I don't want to talk to anyone if you need to draw the curtains turn your phone off we've all got mobile phones it doesn't mean we have to answer them so if you need 20 minutes under the duvet Mm. then you do that or two days under the duvet absolutely and crying some people find it hard to cry
0: openly don't they
2: they do Mm. and actually i think it's also important to acknowledge that Your body may not be allowing you to do that Mm. to start off with, and that's fine. I can guarantee somewhere down the line you will, Mm. Um, but you may not cry at first. You might just be completely and utterly numb, totally shell-shocked, and and your body is not allowing you to cry, not allowing you to grieve in that way. Mm. So again, I guess it's open communication,
0: talking, and not forgetting that after the funeral possibly when people might need you more than ever
2: absolutely and to keep going absolutely what are the ways to remember loved ones at christmas which can be a really melancholy time generally it certainly can be and it might just be following on um traditions um that your your loved one had they may have had a particular suite that they would only buy at christmas so you might want to do that mm. it might be about keeping a seat free at the christmas table for them um I know Debbie was talking to you earlier about how she would often wear um, Paul's shirts, yeah, which I thought was was a really lovely idea. Mm. But actually, you can bring things like that into um, into keepsakes and things that that will actually last longer. Um, you can have his shirts turned into a memory bear, for mm. example. Oh, that's uh, a nice yeah, idea. Yeah, there are, there are lovely ways for for perhaps people to remember.
0: Mm. Um, she was also saying about how now she's she's now finally realized that she wants to look through all the stuff and maybe start to give stuff away to people or auction stuff off because she wants to other people to remember him by. Again, no time limit on that, I guess.
2: No, and I, I think it's um, it can go one of two ways. People either want to sort through things straight away or they need to give it time. They need to have time and, and face that when they're ready. And again, that's one of those things where there's no right or wrong. Mm. But items can have a real significance. It's not just memories. If you've got something physical there that you can focus on, then that can be a real help. Mm. Um, so it may even be following the funeral service. If you've had a cremation service, for example, mm. it might be some somewhere to keep the ashes.
0: Sorry.
2: Also, there's certain items that can bring people peace and and help them get through things isn't there Absolutely. Um, we were talking about clothes for memory bears, but actually, some people find it really, really difficult to sleep on their own if they've lost a partner, um, and sometimes it can just be taking an item of clothing to bed with them that mm. perhaps has still a little bit of scent on from mm. from the person that they've lost. So, actual physical items that maybe they've owned um, can have a real significance. But actually, you can create new items. So, we were talking about, you know, perhaps making memory bears out of mm pooled shirts Mm. for example which is which is a really lovely idea that can be done at the minute um but also it can be if the person that's died has been cremated there are so many ways and so many things that you can do with the ashes you Mm. can have them made into jewelry for example Um, have uh, particular urns or or keepsakes that that the ashes can be kept in Mm. Um, and that can make a real difference because you can keep a small part of them with you And it brings so much comfort. Absolutely. Thank
0: you so, so much for coming in today, Tracy. You are very welcome. Lovely to meet you. You too. This podcast is a Reach production brought to you by Co-op Funeral Care. Together, no one has to deal with bereavement alone.